what do being rescued from the mud Jesus in the book of Hebrews and calling out to God for help all have to do with each other okay they're all connected to Psalm 40 is the So, what's that? Mm -hmm. Yes. So turn there with me if you would, Psalm chapter 40. And we will start in verse 1. Verses 1 through 3 are very familiar, and we tend to stop there, but I think we miss some of the significance of the psalm if we stop there, but certainly we don't want to skip over them simply for that reason. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. So it says that he waited patiently for the Lord, and the Lord inclined to him. What... Um, Maybe one of the kids can answer this. What does it mean that God inclined to David? Yes. Okay. Might think that he spoke to him. What other ideas might we have? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that he, he came close. He listened to him. So sometimes in, uh, particularly in the King James, but also sometimes here in the NASB, you might see the phrase, he inclined his ear. If you're having a hard time hearing someone, like because the air conditioner is really loud next to them, what might you do to hear them better? Lean forward. That's the picture that we want to see of God's response to David when David cried out for help. And how did God rescue David in verse 2? Again, let me ask the kids that. How did God rescue David? Look at verse 2. Maybe one of the kids that doesn't usually answer. <laughs> what does it say he did in verse 2? If you get the answer wrong, I'll just say Mr. Paul whispered it to you. So. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, rescued him from a pit. Do we think that it was an actual pit? Or is he giving us a picture of what his trouble was like? It's a figurative expression. He's saying, it's like I was down in a muddy pit. How many of you have ever been, kind of feel like you're stuck in the mud? Or at least that you're covered in mud, okay? Uh, if you were down in the mud and you really needed someone to come help you get pulled out because your shoes or your boots were stuck and you were just covered in mud, someone coming along and rescuing you out would be something that you would be grateful for, thankful for. And that leads to, well, look at the end of verse 2 also. It says, He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. We see this contrast all throughout the book of Psalms. Uh, throughout the Bible generally, but specifically in the book of Psalms, God's people are set securely, firmly established. God's enemies are on a slippery slope, in a, uh, an unsecure ground, they're ready to fall. We see this contrast between the wicked and the good. 
And David is highlighting that contrast. He's saying, even though I was here, maybe because he had sinned, maybe just because he was around sinners, he was in a place of trouble, God rescued him and put him in a place of security, like he was standing on a rock, like he was not going to fall. It's like the difference between if you're at the beach and you dig a hole in the sand and then you stand in it, it's full of water and it's slippery and you're stuck versus standing on the rocks that the waves are crashing against but can't knock down. Does that, does that make sense? That picture makes sense? And so then we see verse 3, and this is where a lot of people, not intentionally, but maybe overemphasize this verse of this psalm. It, it does support the whole idea of the psalm, but he says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. One of the ways that I think we could potentially misunderstand this verse is by saying, you know, he put a new song in my, in my mouth. So, I used to like to listen to country music, and now I listen to gospel music. I used to like to listen to whatever, and now I listen to this. I don't think he's primarily talking about the sound of the music. He is talking about the content of the praise. And what I mean by that is, what is it that he's praising God about? He now has a new thing about which to praise God. It is a new song because God has done yet another thing to deliver him, to rescue him, to help him. And so in that context, look at verse 3. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. What might we expect it to say in the second half of verse 3? If he's singing a song of praise to God, what might we expect it to say? Many will what? Praise or hear. But it doesn't say that. Many will see. And I think what he's saying is, they'll step back and they'll see this whole picture he was in trouble. God delivered him. He praises God for it. And this whole circumstance of his life is the thing that causes them to turn and fear God or strengthens their fear of God if they're already following him. And then he goes in um, a section that very much sounds like Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. So this person is trusting in God. Who is he not trusting in? He's not trusting in himself. Not trusting the devil. And what was one of the things that characterized Satan? Pride, right? And also, what's another thing that is a description of Satan? He's a liar. Instead of this person turning to those who are proud and those who are liars, he instead turns to God. God is his trust. And then he speaks somewhat of why God is his trust. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. So we, there's no way that we could exhaust the list. But let's pause for a minute. And I think this might be helpful for us to think about. David had a set of things in his mind that were evidences of what God had done. They were things that he could praise God for. They were wonders that he had seen God do. 
What are some wonders of God, either from the history of the Bible or from your own life, that you could praise God for? Good. What else? Okay. Salvation. Good. What's that? Okay. Sure. What else? Yes, Andy. Okay. Great. What else? What are some other wonders that God has done, either either in the Bible or in your life? Okay. What's that? Yeah. Sure. All the plagues that judged Egypt and showed them the, the weakness of their gods and the power of the true God. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that if that's not a wonder, the mystery of the incarnation, um, I mean, even in us trying to describe it in our statement of faith, it's hard to put into words. Evan? Okay. The resurrection. Sure. Yes. Okay. don't want to cut anybody off. Any other wonders of God that we can rejoice in, tell others about, be amazed by? Yes. Healing? Okay. Okay. Sure. Was it? Okay. Yeah. And an ongoing change that he works in our lives for sure. Yes. Okay, good. Yep. Music? Okay. And that's an amazing thing for us, I think, because that's something that we often struggle with. Not even like what we think of as lies, but sometimes just the fact that we are, we are deceptive in the way that we say things just to make ourselves sound good. You know, we leave out important details when we're telling about things and, and that kind of thing. Okay. Any other wonders of God? What's that? Are you speaking in a figurative sense? Like, okay. Okay. Yeah. I guess one of the things that probably I've been amazed at is just, um, how God has designed the universe, whether it be the way that the human body works, or if you walk outside and you see the connection, not in a, not in a mystic sort of way, but just in the simple fact that there's tiny bugs that feed bigger bugs, that feed birds and toads and things like that, and, and, and just how all of those things fit together and people say, well, these ecosystems evolved over millions of years through ran random chance, but you see how it works together, and I think that you have to see the hand of God in it. We come to the next section, 
And he turns from the wisdom sort of statement, blessed is the man who trusts God instead of God's enemies, and how amazing are God's wonders. He turns toward what does God expect? Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. When he says, God, you don't want sacrifices, was he saying, we don't have to do any of the sacrifices God commanded us as Israelites, speaking from David's perspective. No, they still had to do the sacrifices. What, what was the thing that he was pointing out? He wanted them to, yeah, to believe and follow him from the heart, not just to outside things. And just because I think that this is something that we should think about. Um, can you go to church and not really know God? Yeah. Can you say good things or do good things to other people and not be a Christian? Yeah, at least by human evaluation. The difference or the thing that must be true is that we know God and trust Him and then that leads to us living the right way. Not we live the right way and think God likes me because I live the right way. And that's such an important thing that it's easy for us to get confused about, especially if you grow up in church because you can learn verses, sing songs, do things for God, but if you don't know God, none of those things will ultimately matter. And more importantly than that, what does the Bible say happens to those who do not know God, who just follow Him on the outside? It says they're separated from God forever. And so when we see something like that, uh, sometimes it's easy for us to say, oh, look at the Israelites. They didn't really follow God the right way. And I think we ought to ask ourselves, do I really know God? Or am I like some of the Israelites about which the Bible says they were part of Israel, but they weren't the Israel that were the people of God? Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 7, says this. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. This is, at first glance, a quotation from Psalm 40. 
but there are some interesting and important differences. Psalm 40, verse 6 said, My ears you have opened. Hebrews 10 and verse 5 says, A body you have prepared for me. Psalm 40 um, says, In um, uh, burnt offering and sin offering, singular, and here it says, burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure in them, verses not required. And then when it says, I delight or I desire to do your will, O my God, it says in verse 7 and verse 9, I have come to do your will. So we have a question. Is the Bible contradicting itself? No. Why then does the author of Hebrews change the text of the psalm when he uses it in his book? What is Psalm 40 talking about? Who? David. And what is Hebrews, who is Hebrews 10 talking about? Christ. What is the difference between David's relationship to God and Christ's relationship to God? I mean, there's, there's a variety of differences, but what are some of them? Okay. Yeah. Okay. One of the things I think we have to keep in mind is when the New Testament uses the Old Testament, it is not the author of a particular passage in the New Testament is many times not quoting it like you might for a research paper with footnotes and endnotes and exact, uh, an exact word-for-word relationship. So that's the first thing that we need to keep in mind. We also need to ask ourselves, why would the author of Hebrews put those words differently? And there's a very interesting article that I read in which the person was arguing that the reason the author of Hebrews makes those changes was partially to make the words have a similar sound in the Greek to sort of grab people's attention and partially to highlight the differences between David and Christ. With regard to David, it says, my ears you have opened. Literally, it says, my ears you have dug. So imagine that you had been working in the dirt, and your ears were full of dirt, and someone was talking to you, and you couldn't hear them well. You would literally have to dig out of your ears so that they could you could hear what they were saying clearly. Christ never needed that. Instead, what was Christ's expression of obedience? It wasn't, I hear your word, God, because you're working in me. It was Philippians 2. He humbled himself and took on a body. And I think that's part of why the author of Hebrews highlights that. And then the the emphasis between singular or plural sacrifices and offerings uh, is not as significant. Yes? Does any of it have to do with one being translated from Hebrew or the other one being translated from That's what a lot of people will say, but there's just such a significant difference that it doesn't seem to be, that doesn't seem to explain it fully, and so people will come up with a lot of reasons why 
they'll sort of start from the assumption that it's an exact quotation, and I think that's not the place that we should start from. Notice this other thing, though, too. David says, I delight or I desire to do your will, God. What does Christ say in Hebrews 10? I have come to do your will. Christ didn't come with the hope or the desire or the possibility of doing God's will. He came specifically to fulfill God's will. So, without reading what Hebrews 10 says back into Psalm 40, I think it's important for us to recognize the relationship between those two passages and see this point. What David could only do partially and incompletely and imperfectly, Christ does fully. And where David's obedience was God speaking to him and digging out his ears and putting truth into them and David sometimes following it, Christ humbles himself, takes on a human body, perfectly obeys God, fulfills God's will. And that contrast, I think, is important because not only was David, the, the, not only was there a first Adam and a last Adam, Adam and Christ, but there is much in the life of David that scriptural authors use to draw contrasts and similarities to show us how much greater Christ is than even David. But returning to what David did, and to a cer certain extent what we do imperfectly, and looking forward to the day when we serve God wholeheartedly, verse 9, I have proclaimed, of Psalm 40, I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, you know, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. We see these ideas over and over again in the Psalms. God has a covenant relationship with his people, a loyalty to his people, a faithfulness to his people, a salvation for his people. And we see here, he doesn't proclaim glad tidings of deliverance. We would expect something like that because we see that in other places in the Bible. But he says, glad tidings of righteousness. And then verse 10, I have not hidden your righteousness. He's saying, not so much what did God do, but what is God like? This is who God is. Tell other people about it. This is what I must do because of God's deliverance in verse 1 through 3. And then even in that seeming moment of triumph, God has delivered me, I'm praising Him, I'm, I'm seeking His help, everything is going well. Verse 11, he anticipates yet again that he's going to need God's help and God's deliverance. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. At the moments where we feel closest to God, I think that from David's experience and words here, and from the testimony of many other places in the Bible, we ought to, at the same time, have a, an awareness 
and a readiness to repent, knowing that sin can easily be just around the corner for us. Sometimes in those moments where we feel closest to God, we are most, we find it easiest to trust in ourselves and to commit some act of sin against God, and we find once again that we need Him and that He is faithful and that He hears our prayers. Whether that be to deliver us from opposition outside of us, or probably even more the focus in verse 12 is from the sin that we often struggle against. When he says they're more numerous than the hairs of my head, he's just saying it crops up everywhere and I can't count them and sometimes I don't even know where they're coming from. And then we see in verses 13 to 17 a prayer that will get repeated in Psalm 70. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. And again, without reading the experience of Christ back into this psalm, I think we certainly see parallels between David's experience and the experience of Christ. It's interesting in verse 14 that David says, Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. And Jesus says, in a very similar circumstance, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. I'm not necessarily saying that that is a character flaw in David, because there was a difference in purpose in David's life at that point and Christ's life at that point. But it is interesting to think about the, com the comparison and the contrast. But again, we see, as we see all throughout the wisdom literature in the Bible, there is a split between those who mock God and those who trust in God. Those who mock God think that they are secure, think that they will succeed. Those who trust in God it's a prayer here, but in other places it's just an expression of what is. They will be rejoice and be glad in God. The Lord will be praised. God delivers the afflicted and the needy. It's not resolved in this psalm. God doesn't appear and deliver at the end of this psalm like he has in the first part of it. But if God did in the first part of it, we can expect that he would in the future when we cry out like in the second part of it. So what does this have to do with us? Think about what God has done in your life. Or perhaps I should say, think about who God has been in your life. Do you think about it? Do you tell others about it? Do you constantly cry out to him in times of need because of your sin, because of trouble, because of all these other sorts of things? 
knowing how he's responded in the past and knowing what sort of God he is. Obviously, all that starts with trusting in him in the first place. Because we won't cry out to God like this if he's not really our God. But if he is our God, we ought to regularly cry out to him like this. And what result does that bring about? Many will see and will fear and will trust in the Lord. God will deliver his people. And we see also in verse 16, those who love his salvation will say, The Lord be magnified. We are helped. God is praised. And more people know what God is like. So do you speak to God? Do you speak about God before others? I think that's part of what this psalm is calling us to do. What um, 